Hello and welcome to the Owen Finance Club CareerCast. In this podcast, we take a look at the potential careers opened up by pursuing your finance education. I'm your host, James Dutton, and today we'll be talking with Brian Kinman of St. Louis Archangels. If you enjoy the podcast or are interested in learning more about finance, consider joining the Owen Finance Club on Wugo, LinkedIn, or WeChat. Thank you, everyone, for joining me today. I'm here with my guest, Brian Kinman. And Brian, would you please give our guests a little bit of your background and just tell us about yourself? Very good. Good morning, James. Good morning to everyone online. Um, so glad to be here. Yeah, my uh, my current position is the uh, chairman and chief executive officer of the St. Louis Archangels. Uh, the St. Louis Archangels are a network of accredited investors here in the St. Louis area. We invest in startups in the, the broader region, the Midwest region, um, and have been doing so for about 17 years at this point in time. We recently passed a kind of a significant milestone where we crossed the 100 million mark in terms of cumulative investment. So we were pretty excited about that. Uh, now we just need to continue to reap the rewards from all this investment. Um, you asked about my background. I am a, uh, I, I am a 1975 graduate from St. Louis University with a degree in accounting. Um, I spent uh, 40 years in public accounting and what started as big eight public accounting and ultimately became big four public accounting. Um, and uh, subsequent to that have uh, got involved with the Archangels. My, my career in public accounting was interesting because it's while it started with the accounting and auditing side, I actually began the first 10 years working with small banks uh, and bankers as they began to create de novo banks and ultimately merge small banks and grow them into large banks. So my, my most exciting uh, success was one that the first acquisition was a 25 million in total asset bank uh, back in 1978. Uh, and by about uh, 2003, there were a billion and a half in total combined assets. So that was kind of an exciting, see what happens when you help somebody get started. Um, so at any rate, that's that's a bit of my background. I, I currently, I should add, I do sit on the board of directors, either as a director or a board observer of uh, seven different startups uh, at this point in time. And I'm also on the board of couple not-for-profits and, um, and, and an insurance company here in St. Louis. So that's a bit of my background. Okay. I mean, busy man there, 40 years and you're still going. So what led you to, to becoming, or I guess, to become an angel investor? So 40 years, obviously you're able to build up a nest egg. You could have easily retired and just, you know, rest on your laurels there. So what was it that led you into angel investing? What kind of keeps you staying so active? Well, that's a good question. My, my wife is still trying to find the answer to that question as well. But uh, I, I think the starting point to it was I grew up here in the St. Louis area. And I have to say, when, when I graduated in 1975 from St. Louis U, St. Louis was number four in the nation with Fortune 1000 companies headquartered here. Um, I grew up and after about 10 years, we moved to the to the East Coast where we spent over 20 years on the East Coast. And then um, when upon coming back, returning to St. Louis, I was rather uh, dumbfounded to discover that not only were we not number four in the nation anymore, we weren't even on the list anymore. Um, and quite frankly, that was frustrating to me because I had always seen St. Louis as such a robust business climate. So I began to put um, in retirement to look or right before retirement to sort of look around and say, is there something I can do to help, you know, foster the growth of business in town? And I Came, apro- uh, came across the uh, Archangels as an organization and got involved right away. And uh, the, you know, the, the rest is history. 
uh, but it but it really is about um, taking my experience um, of from those forty years and working with a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries, a lot of different entrepreneurs, and trying to bring it here to St. Louis and see if I can't apply some of that um, as I help the the entrepreneurs here grow. And I and I will also add, I think. Honestly, that is that is the goal of most of the people that join the Archangel organization. It's that is the primary goal. Secondary goal is is to make money. Yeah, we want to invest and we'd like to make money. We're good old fashioned capitalists. Uh, but as uh, as I see routinely with my members is the minute they get an exit, they turn around and just put that money right back in the new deals. So it's not like we're, we're saving up for our next yacht. That is not the case. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah, it absolutely does. And you're talking about building up, you know, the business community here in St. Louis. Can, can you maybe talk to an example where you've seen an investment all the way through where it really grew a business within St. Louis? Well, uh, yes, I certainly can. Um, we, in fact, we've got a couple of interesting examples here um, that I can speak to. One of them is, is a, well, in both situations, one of them is, is called ID8 Medical, and I'll just focus on that. ID8 Medical um, is a startup that actually um, w- one of the co-founders is originally from St. Louis. And as we found out in a kind of funny meeting one day, we were both fraternity brothers at St. Louis U at the same time and hadn't seen each other in well over 40 years. Uh, but they were uh, the CEOs in San Diego and the, and the uh, chief marketing officer, found co-founder was in uh, San Francisco and a couple of the other co-founders in Montreal. And um, they, he was interested, the CFO was interested in coming back to St. Louis. We connected, started talking about the Archangels and ID8. Uh, one thing led to another, and they decided to set up their, uh, their headquarters here in St. Louis. We, have, uh, we, the Archangels, have helped them do all of their funding in round, the first round, second round. And literally today, I, um, I uh, confirmed the wire transfer from the Archangels for $1.6 million uh, in the third round of funding that's going on. The company is has um, built a new product. It's going to change the healthcare industry. It's going to disrupt a lot of what the current solutions are out there. And we also we already have a Fortune 500 company uh, signed an NDA and is in the process of having discussions with us. So uh, I think there's an example of of the kind of thing that we like to see. And it's not uncommon for some of the startups that we invest in to get so excited about the support they get in St. Louis that they move their headquarters here because it's not just the money. It's the money. It's the advice. It's the networking. It's the support. Um, and that's, that's what the Archangels offer. Got it. And when you're getting members into this group, do you look for people that bridge some gaps in, in your skill sets or do you just look for people that really have a passion for investing in St. Louis or is it kind of a mixture of both? Well, the fortunate, um, I think, side of this is that, you know, we are looking for people that are passionate enough about enough to want to invest in businesses in St. Louis uh, in the surrounding area. I'm going to qualify that because when I took over as chairman, we were St. Louis focused. And quite honestly, I, I think that that was an out of date philosophy. I mean, we have to look at things as the Midwest. Um, and the Midwest is, in my definition, pretty broad to the north, to the south, to the east and to the west. Um, and and if we can entice somebody like ID8 Medical to come from San Francisco to St. Louis, all the better. Uh, but this is this is really about supporting uh, investments here. 
And it's not just to grow them here, but the reality is it's better if they are here because we can stay, we can remain close to them, we can give them guidance, we can observe what's going on. So there's a lot to see uh, and do and help. So those that's kind of the way we think about uh, in, investments coming coming to the St. Louis area. And that's what our members are looking for. So we want them to get excited about that. Our membership has a broad array of background. I mean, we have engineers, scientists, PhDs, medical doctors of all with all the different backgrounds involved, financial people like myself, HR managers, marketing managers, and you bring all of that together and, and, and with a plethora of, of, uh, of background in all these different industries. So when we're looking at a deal as individuals, and I should highlight the Archangels are a network of accredited investors. We, the Archangels, are a not-for-profit organization. We're a club. What we do is we bring the members together to view these opportunities and the individual members decide to invest or not. So the ID8 deal, we currently have 28 members in the ID8 deal. The first time they came to us, we had six members interested. So every time they come back, more people sort of get on board and get excited about what we're doing. But it's that combination of those people. So, you know, my financing background, I have I have experience with FDA and 510K approvals. So, you know, that kind of helped the thing. But we've got other guys, engineers that are on board with this thing. And more importantly, medical doctors who confirmed the market said, if they can do what they say they're doing, oh boy, we need to get on board. You know, so getting all of those backgrounds together helps all of us make a better investment decision and helps us provide input to the founders as they're going forward to helping them be more successful. Great. And I think you might have answered my next question here, but is there any type of typical company in which you're most interested in investing or, or what the group seems to really enjoy having come in? Or is it really as long as the technology is exciting, the group is happy to hear about it? Well, we are very, um, I mean, first of all, we, we focus uh, in a natural strengths of our region. So, you know, we, we, there's a tremendous amount of life science uh, startup work here, uh, therapeutics, pharmaceuticals, uh, uh, medical devices, that sort of thing. We also, um, as time has gone on, have gotten very much involved with animal health and agriculture, which makes sense being right here in the Midwest. Um, and the same kind of thing. I mean, a lot of that is going to be science plant-based kind of activities or animal health, similar kinds of activities to human health in, in terms of the animal health and how that goes. So we're, we're a big player in, a, um, in an animal health vaccine company that is a startup, again, moved from Champaign, Illinois to uh, St. Louis, Missouri because of the support they got from the Archangels. So we're involved in that. Naturally, all of those companies, and, and even in my short time at doing the archangel investing or doing angel investing, uh, the use of technology, I mean, we used to say, oh, it's a pharmaceutical, it's an animal health or ag company, and then we got the tech stuff over here. Uh, that's all combined. I mean, nothing, nothing is happening without technology um, you know, in the digital form today that's going forward. So it's, it's allowed us to become better educated, to see better options and broader. So we're looking at all of those kinds of things. I mean, an area that we probably are a little slower to get involved in, and that's only because of, you know, uh, history. I mean, we, we have, we like to joke and say, we have a PhD in investing the wrong way. We know how to invest the wrong way and we've done it many times successfully. Um, but we have found that a lot of consumer product companies are difficult for us, uh, you know, to stay on top of. It's a tough market to get into and for them to ultimately be successful. Uh, many do. 
Uh, but we've we've you know we've had a harder time with that one. So we probably look two or three times harder at those than we do uh, do the other deals. But those are the kinds of deals we're looking at. But I will tell you, in terms of any deal that we're looking at, the number one thing that we are looking at is the is the management team, the founders. You know, everybody's got a good idea. I mean, I've had so many great ideas drinking Budweiser in the local pubs. You can't believe it over the years, right? But the the issue is, can that team of people bring that idea to fruition into the marketplace? Can they make it grow? Can they make it work? Can they deal with setbacks? Do they have the creativity, the networking, the problem-solving skills that are necessary to do that? Will they listen to outside advice when they when they start getting in trouble and need help? We've got some deals that are I think are great companies. We just and the guys that started them are great people, but they're not great CEOs. So, you know, we look and say, is this the kind of person that when a company reaches a certain size and just can't seem to grow anymore? And the problem is the, the, the founder who's the CEO well, they understand that maybe they ought to be in the R&D side and let somebody else take over the, you know, the marketing and growth of the company and the running of the company. Um, and, and we again, we've got a Ph.D. in doing it the wrong way a few times that have taught us how to look at it that particular way. So that's probably the number one thing we look at before we even look at industry is that. Is there any specific questions that you ask during a pitch or, or when trying to meet some of these founders that can help you vet them before investing? Or I guess like, what are the kind of the key traits you're looking for to make sure that, you know, they, they have some of these traits you're looking for, but then also they're going to be agreeable and kind of easy to work with and, and take advice? Well, we spend a lot of time in the vetting process. I mean, um, it, it, with the Archangels, I, I as chairman, I see about 150 deals a year that come across my desk. Um, and, and only probably something close to 50 of those make it through, um, as you've seen in the internship program, make it through our, you know, our, our initial review and about 30 of those make it to our screening committee and about 20 of those make it to our members and about seven or eight of those get funding. Uh, so there's it, a big, you know, a big funnel there in terms of what what's going through. But at each step along the way, we continue to have dialogue with the founders. Um, and usually at the, I have a face to face meeting with them. By the time they're getting ready to get to the screening committee, I have met with them sometimes on several occasions. And and uh, ideates a, a, a great example. I mean, I met with them probably four or five times before they got to the screening committee meeting because I was working with them on their pitch deck, which really means I was working with them on their strategy, right? I was looking at their strategy and saying, I don't think you have addressed enough. You are engineers, I can see that, but how does it move beyond that? What are you, what are you doing? And th then I realized when they began to answer those questions that they, they had that experience. In particular, my fraternity brother had that experience. And so that came to the table and I felt better about moving them along through the process. Um, James, you've sat through some of our screening committee and member meetings. You know what, what it looks like. I mean, our members are not shy about asking questions. Yes, most of those are technical, but the key evaluation process takes place in a, um, in a very, very interesting form after they finish pitching, and that is our cocktail party. So everybody gets a glass of wine or two, and next thing you know, inhibitions have run amok. And the, you know, the real let's get down to it takes place. And we get to see who they are and they get to see who we are. 
Um, and yeah, so, I do think you think that cocktail point. hour tells you more than the pitch almost? I mean, because to me, so unfortunately, I mean, you've mentioned I, I've done the internship, but I never got to really experience much of the in person cocktail hour. So, I haven't been able to network with founders the way I would have liked to. But, uh, you know, what have you, has there ever, I guess, been a deal where everything in the pitch seemed fantastic, but then you networked with them a little bit more during that, that hour afterwards and realized, wow, maybe this isn't the group I want to work with? Oh, yes. That has absolutely happened before. And in other situations, the opposite has happened. Some deal that just didn't get a, a, a you know, a great presentation. The, the guy's tap dancing was a little off that night. Um, you know, but when we get to the cocktail party and you kind of get in the one on one with the individual and, and all of a sudden the excitement about what is there and how they think about it and all the things, all the connections, all the background, all the advisors and support that they have that they didn't have time to tell you in the pitch, which is only 10 minutes long, um, you know, comes out and we go from there. Now, again, mind you, I tell our members, if any of you are going to sit here and listen to a 10 minute pitch and decide to write a check at the end of that 10 minutes, I'm going to kick you out of our organization. You know, th this pitch and the subsequent cocktail party are, are just steps along the way, because following all of that, we put together our due diligence teams who then get together with the founders again, Maybe it's once and maybe it's 20 times and they keep going down the path to understand, you know, what that is. Um, I can tell you that we, we had a deal again. This is the, the you know, Ph.D. in the School of Hard Knocks. We had a deal um, and, and um, you know, we, we liked the deal. It made sense. We could see in the marketplace it was going to work. It was it was I mean, we were it was a consumer products deal. We we're very excited about that. We went to due diligence. We went to these meetings. And there was this little nagging thing that kept coming up, and that is the CEO just, you know, we always felt like the CEO with a big smile was always answering our questions. But we, it, you just, a couple of us were getting that feeling that, it's, you know, there was more to it that was being left off the answer. Um, we went ahead with it. Um, and I can tell you, we wrote that off um, in 2019. Um, it, you know, it was the, 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 the CEO had a great product. It was accepted. Some of the biggest stores in the country took it on, but that CEO did not have the experience to move it forward and was the greatest rationalizer I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, one thing led to another. And next thing you know, we were out of money and the stores, you know, said you didn't spend the money marketing money you should have. So boom, out we got kicked. And uh, the deal was, I mean, it folded up. It went from cranking in September to out of business by December. It was that fast. So, um, you know, we, again, you just got to learn. You let your instinct, listen to your instinct. Um, again, another PhD. I got this long list of PhDs. <laughs> yeah. You get a stripe for each one of my suit jacket. Wow. So I look like a general or something. Yeah, you, you brought up two good points. And I want to ask uh, this question now that I was thinking about asking later, but we, we have a lot of entrepreneurial students on campus. So do you have any tips for those that are, are starting their business that are trying to get funding that, you know, you, you've seen pitches that have gone bad. You've seen that have gone well. You've seen kind of how they've conducted themselves. So just general advice to any new founders trying to get funding for their idea. Yeah. I, the, the absolute number one thing I'm going to say to you and, um, you know, I, I think for you to understand exactly what that means is something that's going to take and require a little more investigation and thought. But the number one thing I'm going to tell you is that if you're going to pitch to a group of investors and be successful, other than some lunkhead, it's going to get excited about your idea and write you a check without any 
thought process. And there's plenty of those out there. The problem is there's not enough of them to make your business successful. You need to get yourself engaged in a group that can invest in you the first time, the second time, the third time, help network and bring others together. But the key thing to be successful in that pitch and in even in building your whole business strategy and idea and implementing it. So when you pitch something, believe it and do it. But the key to the thing is put yourself in the shoes of the investor. What is the investor looking for? You've got your idea. You're sold on the idea. Great, great, great. Okay, what am I looking for? So let's think about that a little bit. I want to know your idea. I want to know how what problem it solves. I want to know what the market is and how big it is, okay, in terms of what that looks like. I want to know about you and your team of people. Are you qualified to build this thing out and move into that market successfully? I want to understand your go-to-market philosophy and, and how are you going to go to market? Who's going to do what to make customers ultimately pay the money related to your idea going forward? How quickly is that going to grow? Um, let's get some projections down that are realistic, not pie in the sky, not the stuff of my Budweiser drinking days, but the, you know some legitimate, real challenge the market. How are you going to get that kind of idea? And then let's connect that to when are you going to get funding? So walk before you run on the funding. Take a small amount of funding up front to get yourself to a milestone. Define the milestones well. Raise money toward milestones and after milestones so that you can do that. That protects you as a founder so you're not giving away too much of the business you know, too early. And it protects your investors. Your investors, the angel investors are coming in. I mean, there's a reason they call us angel investors, right? Angels. We appear from the heavens and give you money that no one else in their right mind otherwise would. Um, and we do it. Hopefully you're get, garnering from this discussion after a lot of thought and research and evaluation, but that's what we're doing. So we're your early, we're your partners. We're not, we're not a bank. We're not alone. And we're not the United way. We, we are your partners. And so your success is our success. And that's what we want to do is work together to see that that's going to be happening. But understanding that go to market, understanding those projections, understanding who's going to do that and understanding, if you will, the trajectory of your growth into that market. Because we're looking at it and say, how big is the market? How great, you know, how broad is the trajectory? And then who's going to buy this company when it's all done? Who, what are the nature of the beasts that are going to be interested in acquiring this enterprise? And seeing some creativity on your side to look at that. Is it a, is it a strategic? Is it a financial buy? You know, is it a PE firm kind of issue? Um, is, it another, is it another startup that you're going to be complementing? I mean, who's going to buy the company and how are they going to see value? Give us the research. Give us your thought process. We can do our own research. James, you've done some of that for us. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the, the, um, our, our, we want to see the entrepreneur, how well they understand the whole market that they're getting into and they're looking at that. And of course, you know, I, I leave off a few things that are on the pitch list, but, you know, any IP, that sort of thing, protection, that sort of thing. So, but would you invest in your company if you told you the story you're telling me? That's, that's the real question. Um, yeah, and that's, a, that's a lot of great information. And, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like the easiest tell that a founder 
isn't super comfortable with their projections is they spend nine minutes talking about the product and then try to force in financials in the last minute and hope that they can answer more questions. But uh, have you seen that a little bit where they're, they're far too product forward and, and not enough of the, the entire picture? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think, you know, the, the, uh, the ability to see and understand, you know, their understanding of the market and how do you get into the market how are you going to test the market? What does it take to get a big customer? Oh, well, we're going to sell the hospitals. So here's my hockey stick. The first year I've got a you know, million dollars of the sales. The next year I got $20 million of the sales. Third year I'm at 400 million of sales. Excuse me. Have you ever sold to a hospital? CFOs and hospitals are at the head of huge bureaucratic enterprises with hundreds of people that are going to stand in the way of you being successful because there's all kinds of people trying to sell stuff to hospitals. So how are you going to get into the hospital? Is you knocking on a door the right way or have you done any homework and do you understand that there's got to be some other ways for you to do that? ID8 understands that. They understand what the pain is going to be. And they and we've already, with my sitting on the board, I've pushed them you know, to look hard at marketing studies to understand the answers to these questions as we've looked through it. So those are the kinds of things that, that that's how I would answer that question. Okay. And, and you talked about this a little bit, so I just want to touch a bit more on it. But, you know, why, why should founders go to angel groups over traditional VC? I'm pretty sure here most VCs will be a partner, but I think there's obviously advantages and disadvantages to, to going with an angel group. Could you maybe address that a little bit? Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, absolutely. First and foremost, um, an, an angel group is interested in being a partner. We are not a financial buyer. We are a partner. Um, and it doesn't sound like a huge difference, uh, but it is in terms of state of mind and attitude. We, want, we understand that we are investing at a very early stage. There's nothing to sell until the thing grows and gets, becomes successful. Um, and we understand that we're taking a risk and we're willing to do that. Um, so angel investors are going to be investing at a level that most venture capital will not. Here in St. Louis, we helped uh, Cultivation Capital get started. And some of the other uh, venture firms that are out there were not around when we got started. We actually helped them get started. And many of them were investing in, uh, alongside of us, you know, partner to partner. So we're investing at these early pre-seed and seed stage and as, as they were. What they found out as a financial investor that their, their investors are expecting a return much faster than what you're going to get as an angel investor. It takes a long time for these things to mature. Um, and so as a result of that, every single one of them has moved up line. They, they don't start investing until the A rounds, sometimes the B rounds, depending upon the deal. Occasionally, there might be a, you know, a seed three round that they'll invest in, but you're not going to find mo very many venture capital firms investing at that seed and pre-seed round. So right there, your, your stock is limited to angel investors, whether it's an organized group like the St. Louis Archangels or the lone gunmen that are running around, you know, around that. A group like the Archangels is a good one to get because the mere fact that we have invested gives you some credibility for the other angel investors who might be interested in coming in uh, at that point. So we're a clearing point. The second thing is that if you let, let's take ID8, we're in, we're in the third raise for ID8. Um, and ID8, the, the, the first round was about 800,000 and the Archangels came up with 525 of that. The, the remainder of that uh, 275,000 um, came from 
um, an, an investment management individual who has clients who is in I network with the, the company was finding trouble finding other money. So I, I helped them network and get that money. The second round of investment was a million dollars worth of investment. The Archangels, again, came in at a same, very similar number, 525 uh, in terms of that number. And the um, but the fact that we were in caused a lot of other angel investors to come in again. So we were able to fill out that million dollars without any trouble. Here we are in the third round. It's a four million dollar round. The Archangels have invested one million six hundred fifty five thousand. But the the other I call them friends of the Archangels. In fact, some of those friends have already joined the Archangels, but they were investing outside of our LLC. Uh, they are they are investing uh, seven hundred and fifty thousand. A network of people that are friends of mine um, uh, are adding another seven hundred fifty thousand, and that original investment firm is at is about five hundred. And with all that together, we've been able to through networking open doors to to get the remainder, which is not actually very much money at this point in time. So, um, you know, getting involved with the angel, we're not just putting in 25,000 bucks and, you know, send me a note when you exited for, you know, as a unicorn, I'm really excited to hear about that. I mean, we're with you every step along the way. And we know sometimes it gets tough. And I will tell you, it does get tough. I mean, there is a, in the early stages, people get excited about an idea and they give you money. Um, and then on your way to that A round, you're going to, the, the time will come when you're going to need $4 million just ish. Um, and that $4 million is hard to get because that's more than a lot of angels are going to be able to come up with, right? But it, you're still too early for the venture firms. So uh, an organized group that's large enough, like the St. Louis Archangels, has the ability to go from investing 500000 or even 100000 in your first round to a million six, sometimes as much as $2 million, uh, in later rounds. So um, I think there's a lot of benefit in being a part of an angel organization. And I urge you, if you're going to do that, you know, play, you know, play by the rules of the angel organization. We see a lot of deals. So if you come in on your high horse and say, no, 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 this is the way I do it. This is the way I'm, I want to pitch. This is these are my rules. This is what I'm going to do. Well, don't even bother because, you know, I just told you, I see 150 deals a year, you know, down to, you know, 50 to 30 to 20. Um, and, and all of my members, they see 20 deals, of new deals that we've never seen before a year. Plus all those deals that we've invested in in the past, when it's time for them to want more money, they're coming back too. So our members actually are seeing 30 to 40 very investable deals a year. So uh, it, it, anybody who gets on their high horse about what they're going to do or not do, probably not a good idea to, to be coming through our system. So I, I hope that helped. Didn't mean to end on a negative note because we have so many positive stories. No, I, I think that's actually really helpful to hear. And there's a point you brought up where, you play in a space that's too early for VC, too early for really that institutional money. And we, we've discussed a lot in class and just kind of in general reading the news how there's so much money out there for investment. M&A activities at all-time highs, valuations are all at all-time highs. Do you feel like doing the seed stage investing has kind of helped put the group in a niche where you don't have to compete for deals because you're kind of touching these deals before any other company would actually be interested in looking at them. Yes. Um, it, so when you read all of that nice stuff in the newspaper, it's like everything else you read in the newspaper these days. What percentage do you believe of what you've read? Um, and I think that's the important element of this is that 
yes, there's a lot of there's a lot of money being thrown somewhat stupidly, I might add, at um, at young deals. These SPACs that have been popping up. I mean, there's there's yeah, there's some big winners in these SPACs, but there's a you know, do your research on the SPACs. So that's not exactly been a you know tremendous success when it's all said not for the investor when it's all said and done. So there's a lot of naivete. There's a lot of money, and with a lot when you have a lot of money, there's a lot of naivete. The the but to get to the point where you can even get attention, it, you, you need to get money. That's what you need that first raise. I mean, we got a lot of deals. When they came to us the first time, you know, we had four members out of 70 look at them and say, you know, I'll, I'm going to put some money in this deal. Each put 25 in. They got $100,000 in the first round. And we got some of those same deals. Here we are on the eighth or ninth round. And, you know, now when we raise money, it's a million and a half dollars that are coming out of the Archangels. That's what you that's what you get with working with a, a formalized angel group. Or I, well, let me rephrase that. That's what you get with working with the St. Louis Archangels and certain other angel groups. So you need to investigate that and find out if that is actually the way they work. But that's the key to it. We do it because why would we want to invest, you know, that hundred thousand up front and just sit back and hope you can find money later on before you get to the A round. I mean, how many great ideas sink because there's not enough money to get you from point A to point B? And so we want to stay with you and, you know, and we're watching. I mean, are you really meeting the milestones? Are you going to be successful? So we're not just throwing money in because we're in, you know, you're going to you're going to drown if we don't throw you some more money. Uh, no, we're looking at you hard. And, and you know, we, we believe we understand the concept of good money after bad. Um, and so we're not interested in, in following through on that. We look hard at, at you each step along the way. But we also will give you the advice, the support, the networking and the occasional kick in the rear end when you need it, you know, to kind of keep you on track moving forward. Yeah, and, and that segues really well here, I think, to the last question I have or a kind of group of questions, which is, you know, me personally, and I would assume anyone listening to this podcast is obviously wanting to hit the point in their life where they're accredited investors or wealthy individuals. Could you maybe just talk about what you think is really the pro of being an angel investor and then maybe even a, a few of the cons that, that kind of come with it or considerations that people should have before they, they start down the path of, of investing in very, very early stage startup companies? Well, okay, good. To, that's a, that is a very good question, actually. Um, I, um, I, f- first and foremost, investing in uh, startups should be a sidebar thing that you do because you have passion and because it, you have fun. And more importantly, you have money you can afford to lose. That's really the definition of an accredited investor, because you have to understand you're going to lose. You know, these these deals are going to go south. Some of these deals are going to go south. Our, our St. Louis Archangel portfolio record is actually much, much better than most uh, in that particular light. But it, but we also have deals that we've been in for 13 and 14 years. I mean, these, some of these deals go on, they're not a five year and out and look at all that money I made. It's, you know, it's, it's hard and it's painful uh, in terms of looking at that. So I really encourage if people that are going to invest, they need to have another source of wealth, whether that is, you know, a, a stock portfolio or a big business that's thrown off all kinds of cash and that business is going to be there forever. I mean, this needs to be an absolute sidebar kind of thing and one done with passion, passion for a bigger picture. And that is maybe a bigger, better uh, growing community here. 
um, in terms of where we are. So I, I think I think that's you know that that's a big part of it. Um, the pros of it are that if you invest at the early stage, you know when you talk about all that money being thrown in all these deals, it, you know if if you're a nobody like most of us in the scheme of things, you know your ability to actually invest in that deal that went you know when it's ready to go, you know uh, you know. Uh, 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 Benson Hill, case in point. We've all been reading about Benson Hill as a unicorn. They've got a SPAC deal going here this quarter. Um, that's going to, you know, it's well, it's valued a billion two fifty, I believe, is the number, if I recall correctly. Our ability for our members to get into that deal is zero, except for the two guys that are already in the deal. Okay, because <laughs> they got in way back in the very first round. So that's one of the pros of investing, you know, early in these deals. It gives you the right through preemptive rights to be able to continue to invest. And of course, you're already in the deal, you know, going forward. I think one of the cons of investing is you are investing early. The risk is absolutely at nosebleed level. Um, and understanding how to protect yourself and how to think through that, the, the, the legal nuances of the paperwork and everything else are there. You know, you might have the most honest founder in the world that you're going to invest in and every, you, and you're going to give him some money and he's going to take that money and do the best he can with it. And all the legal documents are all set up for that to be right. You don't want to be too hard on him on, you know, preemptive rights and tag along rights and all that kind of stuff. Don't be a fool because you're not the last investor. And by the time the venture capital people come along, believe me, they know how to look at those documents and go, oh, these poor fools didn't get preemptive rights. They're out. We're in. Sorry, guys. You know, and then they crush you somewhere along the way. There's a reason venture capital firms some have the some have the unfortunate nickname VC vulture capital. There's a reason they do, um, and so being prepared for that and understanding you don't know who's going to come later on. That's one of the downsides. So it's like anything. Risk is not something. I actually my career, the last 25 years of my career at PwC, I I was the founder of what we call the enterprise risk management practice. And there was no other firm had it at the time. We, we founded that back in the 80s. Um, and it, it's all about not being afraid to do something. It's not about identifying risk and say, don't go there. It's about identifying risk and figuring out how to navigate it. That's really what it is. Identify, assess, evaluate, and manage. That's what we help our clients figure out how to do and put processes in place. Same thing when it comes to angel investing. That uh, was a fantastic answer to the question. I really appreciate it. And we're kind of down to here to the last question. So this is really an open ender. You can take it any way you want, but just any general career advice for, for the students listening to this podcast or just the kind of the typical student would be anyone in their master's program a year or two away from graduation. Just what advice would you give them? Well, I mean, I, I think the, the, you know, the key um, on that advice is to do something that you want to do and be passionate. Recognize where you are in life. Um, you, you know, you, you have a long way to go and a lot of opportunity um, to, to do wonderful and magnificent things. When I came through undergraduate school, I was in a big hurry to graduate and start working. Um, and that turned out okay for me, right, in the long term. But, you know, 40 years later, I look at I look at people that I knew in school, friends that I knew in school that are, you know, are now successful founders. And I look at their career paths and all the different things that they learned um, and where they went. And they did it because they were passionate and they were ultimately able to 
you know, at times not be afraid to be able to move into opportunities that might be a startup kind of deal, like the ID8 example I just gave you. Um, and I think that's that, you know, that's really, really exciting. So don't let money drive your your career path. Let, you know, let passion drive your career path. But it's like investing in a startup. That's what you're investing in your career. You're a startup. Look at the market understand where that market is and how big it could be. So if you want to be passionate about ant farming, then understand you're probably not going to make a lot of money in your life. And maybe that's okay. But if you want to be passionate about something and be financially successful at the end of the day, look at the big picture of the market. Don't be afraid to start small or to smart start at a at a startup, you know, kind of environment. There's an awful lot of MBA students that have gone from the classroom to the to the startup workplace um, and, and work through that. And that's fine. Those guys usually end up going from place to place to place. So understand the rules, understand how to get equity in these companies, you know, and when it's time to move, make sure you protect yourself in terms of where you are. But there's a tremendous amount of opportunity out there. I hope that many of the things that are going on in our country today do not stifle, uh, you know, the opportunity that is there. We, we have a wonderful country we have wonderful opportunity. When I just look back at even my career that, you know, even taking me into the startups, I, I'm, I'm just amazed at the neat things I got to do over my entire life. And it ended up with financial success at the end of it. But it was the passion for, for life that I enjoyed the most throughout the whole process. And back to your first question, why in the world am I still doing angel investing and working like this in retirement? That's the answer as well. Thank you so much. And for any of the students that have really enjoyed this conversation, especially as much as I have, uh, and, and they want to learn more about SLAA, what, what should they do? Should they just reach out to Ann? Should uh, you know? Should they go to the website? What what would be the, the I guess the appropriate response? You can absolutely check out our website, which we're in the process of updating, by the way, um, or send a, a note to Ann Schweitzer. It's A N N E M S C H W E I T Z E R at gmail.com. and she's on our website as well. Um, if you're, you know, interested in internships or just, you know, want to come to a meeting to see how it works, um, you know, that that would be great, too. And, and James, you are always welcome back to our meeting, even even though the internship's uh, over, you are always welcome back. I hope you come. Absolutely. Brian, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Indeed. You all have a great day. If you've made it this far, thank you for listening in. If you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to the Finance Club Leadership on LinkedIn or via Woosel email. And stay up to date on podcasts or live events. Join Owen Finance Club on Wugo, LinkedIn, or WeChat.